Whether it's a sigh of relief or a deep breath, we as humans all know about breathing. But breathing might do a few more things than we expect. My name is Louis Colbertolo, I breathe a lot, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Guelph trying my absolute best to get a degree in food science. But when I should be doing my work, and I'm not doing my work, or when I want to just, you know, catch a breath, I like to talk with other graduate students about what they're studying. And this time I stumbled upon Kristen Yates, who is a breather herself, but also someone who studies breathing. But her words are better than mine, so listen to what she has to say. I didn't know that, like, just because I was breathing a certain way that my body could move. So that was just like, bah, like my mind was exploding. <laughs> so does breathing have magical powers? Or maybe, I don't know, does breathing have scientific powers? That's what we're all about trying to find out here on We Know Some Stuff. But speaking of We Know Some Stuff, we know that we don't know all the stuff. Which is why you're listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? I, I'm good over here. Could you do us all a favor and just tell us your educational history? Yeah, for sure. So my education history actually started um, back in 2011. Um, I started in the culinary industry with a program at George Brown College in culinary management. And then from there, I graduated and uh, worked in different restaurants in the Toronto area for about five years. I also worked in the Waterloo area for a couple of years. And then I actually got some back problems. So that started this kind of career change for me. Um, and I ended up applying to George Brown College again for health and fitness promotion this time and uh, became a personal trainer and was still really interested in the materials. So I ended up bridging to Guelph Humber for kinesiology. And then I graduated that um, at the end of April of this year and then started into a master's in uh, human health and nutritional sciences at University of Guelph and that's what I'm doing now and yeah I am in a biomechanics spine lab and just starting my uh, research idea. Right off the bat I'm already thinking about all the different places that I could take this conversation <laughs> and I, I am not going to commit the greatest faux pas of saying oh my god what do you like to cook I know that that question is one of the most <laughs> dreaded questions that someone will receive so we're going to completely bypass it even if you had a really good answer we're going to completely bypass it. But, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I do this for you. I did it for you. Um, all right. So uh, right off the bat, I hear that you had back issues and now you work in a spine lab. What are the chances? What what kind of level of coincidence? Like, did you, <laughs> did you seek this out? Like, what, what was your motivation here? I honestly, looking back, it was definitely based around kind of following my interest and kind of what came up at the time and what I kind of felt compelled to go forward with, I guess you could say. Um, I did the fourth year uh, research project in my last year of kinesiology, and that really got me into the, the research aspect. And I actually, the project I did was based around breathing, and it was in a posture lab at Guelph. And that was close to my heart as well, because four years prior, I'd went on this very transformational trip to India, and I had experienced my first breathwork workshop and found that the whole experience just blew my mind. So it was really cool that I got to do a project around breathing. And then I realized how open a lot of professors are about kind of 
letting you bring an idea and then being like, sure, we can do that. <laughs> and then I just kind of continued on that track, um, found another uh, professor or advisor that was very uh, open to my ideas. And I, I really wanted to do something based around cooks. And it just so happened that this spine biomechanics lab was able to facilitate my um, idea, which I could explain a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Kinesiology. I I know what it means totally. I definitely know what that word means. But you'll <laughs> recap for everyone else listening, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Kinesiology is, I guess, a little bit or relatively a newer field, like compared to kind of psychology. I think people really understand going to school for psychology and then coming out and being a psychologist. So I guess it's similar for kinesiology but the material is all based on the body so you learn about how the the body works and how the muscles interact with the bones and how structures can change and how different movement patterns can come about and how you can change someone's movement like if they're bending down to pick up a box and there's a lot of different ways that you can do that so looking at different movement patterns and how people do things is a big part of kinesiology. Definitely touches on injuries and pathologies, as well as the kind of other side of that, like high performance and kind of how to train people to improve their movement or to kind of improve mobility, the way, like how much you're able to like move your arm back. Yeah, so it's kind of based on how someone moves and how they feel in their body and their awareness of their body. That's exactly what I would have said, like word for word. <laughs> and it, 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 I will not lie. The first time that I actually talked with a kinesiologist, I thought it was a field of psychology. I don't know why. I just was like, kinesiology sounds like psychology. Um, there's a lot of ologies out there, but for some reason, kinesiology specifically struck me as a type of psychology. Uh, all right. So body moving, you know, stuff. You said the word posture and the one, you know, uh, con of the radio is that you couldn't see that I immediately in my video, I immediately straightened my back when you said <laughs> the word posture. I and now I'm hunched over again. I'm back to hunched over and now I'm going back to like a good posture. Uh, we see a lot of posture in our lives. And I think a lot of times since we have been in this pandemic for some time and, you know, there's so many meetings that are online now, we think about posture, I think, a little bit more than we used to. What do you think? I definitely think there's been a lot of kind of initiatives to put it in people's mind a little bit more in the the more recent years. I even worked in a, a restaurant that actually had um, some diagrams up on the wall showing people like proper uh, lifting techniques. And so I think it is maybe a little bit more forefront, but I think it also depends on um, who you are and if you have heard content related to posture, because I think it, that's super common when people start talking about posture, someone like straightens their back. I think it's also something that can be kind of forgotten unless it's uh, kind of repeated in your life for maybe the content that you're listening to, or um, maybe you have a family member or a friend that's telling you, hey, fix your posture. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I look at my dad now, and he's yeah yeah he's seventy years old now, 
and he has a hunched back. He uh, he worked on like a stool, like kind of hunched over his entire life for his job, and he is he's like permanently hunched over now. So every time I see him, I think to myself, like, oh, my God, I have to do something about this posture because that's probably in my genetics somewhere. Uh, so I think about posture a lot more every time I go back home to visit my parents. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think um, when someone experiences, like, injury or pain, I think then they start thinking about posture a lot more from that point as well. I think it sometimes takes the point of getting to an injury. At least that was kind of my story. I didn't realize the importance of posture or even exercise when I was working as a chef and then all of a sudden I had all these back problems and I was told oh your posture is not not great you know muscle imbalances and all that but I had no idea until I hit that point of pain Oof, yeah that doesn't sound like fun at all I think a lot of times people who spend all day on their feet they think to themselves like well I don't need to exercise because like I'm all day I'm on my feet I'm tired when I get home um, yeah. exercise seems like an office job problem. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, that's exactly where I was at working as a chef. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm on my feet all day. This is exercise. Uh, yeah, I've definitely worked a number of jobs where, you know, you are just on your feet the entire day and you think, well, walking, I'm doing a lot of walking. Look at all the steps that I'm taking. But that's not necessarily, quote unquote, the exercise that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even the like lifting all the pots and heavy things. I also thought, you know, that's muscle building. But it turns out it was kind of it was building muscle, but a little unbalanced, a lot of anterior muscle strength and not a lot of back muscle strength. I imagine you're lifting buckets of beef stock congealed from the cooler. Oh, yeah. Just like big old big old like uh, what are those five gallon buckets those like uh, 20 liter yeah yeah the big like pickle buckets people always call them mm. <laughs> love it love a pickle bucket of congealed beef stock and the good old uh, fryer oil dirty fryer oil carrying that mm. out <laughs> and it's like nice and thick from how much it's been used yeah and it's got all those little speckles of burnt things at the bottom oh good memories <laughs> Uh, so, you know, all right, now we we have touched on the concept of kinesiology, letting me know that it's not actually a field of psychology. And we've also talked about posture. We talked about how you ended up where you are. Let's move into a little conversation about breath work. Breath work. Um, it turns out breathing is more work than we think it is. You want to <laughs> give us an introduction? Yeah, definitely. So most people kind of breathe at a relatively kind of shallow rate or a fast or yeah, fast rate. And they tend to breathe more with their upper chest until they try to breathe with their, their lower chest or their diaphragm or their, their belly. Some people call it belly breathing. And you can really notice the difference if you take a nice slow inhale through your nose and really let your, your bottom of your belly kind of expand as much as possible. And then when you do that, you're, you're working the, the diaphragm to a higher degree and that muscle can actually, um, it can gain strength just kind of like any other muscle. Like if you do bicep curls every day, that muscle will get bigger. The same thing can happen with the diaphragm. If you do big belly breaths for a certain amount of time per day, that diaphragm muscle can actually get stronger and bigger and more useful. What I looked into is actually um, how training the diaphragm can affect balance. Okay. All right. So I'm I'm so interested in that. First thought I was thinking was like a bodybuilder with like a really big diaphragm. <laughs> 
like are there diaphragm bodybuilders are they just opera singers I would say opera singers would definitely have strong diaphragms. I'd also think some certain people from different tribes, like Amazonian tribes and stuff that uh, have practices based on breathing, probably also have really jacked up diaphragms. <laughs> but it's um... Yeah, I like that term, jacked up diaphragms. <laughs> But it's a it's a harder one to actually measure, like the thickness. If you go into like a hospital setting, there is ways that you can actually image the diaphragm. It's a little beyond my level, but yeah, you can definitely train the diaphragm and kind of imagine the changes that are happening and see those changes in kind of other ways. Yeah, uh, and it's funny, I guess, because it's a muscle that we use every single day, but we don't think like, oh, I'm gonna go, you know, work my diaphragm today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so breath practice, training your diaphragm, and now, for some reason, I can't figure out why, you're talking about balance. What does breathing have to do with balance? This is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, so it was a really interesting um, study that I found. First kind of proof of concept study was done in 2019. And this individual, they had a number of people come in and do things like standing on one leg and other kind of things to see how good their balance is. And then they underwent a number of weeks of diaphragm training. So they do big belly breaths and as well as kind of other uh, positioning of your body to engage the diaphragm even more. So each week it would get a little bit harder. And then at the end, they retested everyone for you know, standing on one leg and did see improvements in balance. So I thought that was really interesting. And I looked into some other studies uh, to look for more evidence that the diaphragm can affect balance. And I found another study where a group looked at people that had just undergone um, kind of chest cavity or thoracic surgery. During that surgery, their diaphragm got compromised. And so they actually were able to relate the deterioration of the diaphragm in these people to a decrease in balance or postural stability maintenance. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So the lab that I was in, they basically have what's called a force plate. So you can kind of think of it as like a bathroom scale, but you stand on it just like you would a, a bathroom weight scale. But it, instead of reading your weight, it reads the forces at your feet. And so you can think when you're trying to stand still, you're not actually standing still like no one can stand exactly still you have like a sway and so that can actually be measured on this force plate that you're standing on so that's what i looked at instead of looking at like how long can you stand on one foot i looked at um uh, this different measure of postural sway and how the breathing can affect how you how you stand still which is interesting people make different conclusions about what that sway means and how it differs and how it can change even with uh breathing different ways will change how you're you're just standing still even though you're trying to stand still all right right off the bat is swaying when you're standing bad quote unquote it's definitely not bad it's actually it's a very necessary process to have that sway because if you didn't have that sway it'd be harder for kind of blood to move around why that happens too is because you have this thing called like the center of mass. So it's about right in the middle of your your belly for most people. So it's just the the point of your balance point. And if that ever goes outside your base, so like where your feet are, your base of support. And so the center of gravity always has to stay in that base of support. And then if it goes outside, that's when you fall. So your sway is actually your body just making sure that your center of mass stays 
at a reasonable point, but your muscles also have to kind of move around because they're there's blood flowing through there and your muscles that your body just doesn't want to ever just stay completely still because that's it's not great for for life and all the stuff going on in our bodies is kind of how I understand it. That That's really interesting. I've always kind of thought that like because I can't stand so still, it was like, you know, once again, quote unquote bad. But now when I'm like rocking back and forth when like talking to someone, I guess I feel less bad about myself. Wow, I learned a lot about myself today. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I immediately recall going to like, you know, war memorials or like a palace or, you know, places like that where they have those soldiers that are standing ridiculously still for like hours at a time. And I think to myself, there is there's no way I could do that. I might be able to stand still for like 15 seconds. Yeah, and it's interesting. A lot of those soldiers will get venous pooling is what it's called. It's when all your blood kind of goes down to your lower legs and then has a hard time coming back up because you're trying to stay so still. So there's been instances of them fainting because of that. And that was actually one of the big things in my approval document for that study was showing I actually had to have people in a harness just in case there was a chance of someone venous pooling and then them fainting that that's fascinating (laughs) venous pooling i i'll have to uh, think about that one a little bit um because i i think i've seen videos of people who are like you know guarding a tomb or you know one of those kinds of things and then they just out of nowhere they just fall yeah like oh so okay so the blood it goes down to your feet and then it struggles to get back up because we're not moving is it that simple yeah, yeah, that's the that's the idea behind it because there's not a lot of times in life besides uh, those soldiers that do it often and maybe a couple other instances or when you're participating in a study like mine where you're trying to stand still. There's not a lot of time in life where you really, really try to do that. It's even um, one of those kind of things people have grappled with in evolution because most animals were on all fours and actually having an organism stand so upright was is very impressive because of how the blood has to make its way all the way from the feet all the way up to the head. We we are just bipeds. We're we're dumb featherless bipeds, aren't we? Like why did we why did we choose two feet? Like <laughs> I think life would have been more comfortable if I was on all fours. Right? You got to get doing that cat camel every morning. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. a good one to bring that bring that back. <laughs> My life is so organized. I'm definitely the kind of person that stretches in the morning. I'm totally that organized in my life. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) Um, All right. So at some point, you went from, you know, culinary management over to more on the physical side and kinesiology. And now you're currently working at the University of Guelph. Um, Are you doing your master's? I'm in the in a master's program, yeah, and I'm just started into my second semester now, so I'm just waiting for you have to do a big REB application, so it's a research ethics board approval, basically a big document saying this is what I'm going to do for my study, every single detail that you could possibly think of, and then the board a board of people looks it over and says, oh, okay, this is good to go, or oh, you have to make a couple changes. So I'm just kind of waiting for that to come back, and then I'll be able to recruit participants for uh, my study. And that's the tricky part about working with humans, if I understand. I work with corn protein, so I don't (laughs) have to ask nicely. 
so when you're working with humans, you you have to do this thing, and and I understand that you had to say, all right, well, we're going to use harnesses to make sure that people don't fall over from this venous pooling kind of thing. There's a lot of things that you have to do and have to consider when you're working with humans like that, aren't there? Yes, definitely. Oh, there's a few, couple more things to kind of think about, and you really have to ensure safety and show that you've really thought about every single point of safety for someone, as well as comfortability and making it reasonable as well. Your study design, you don't necessarily want to have people come in for over three hours or something like that, because that becomes unreasonable for a lot of people. And then it's harder to get people to kind of sign up for your study. So it's ideally easier to recruit people if your study's closer to an hour, maybe two hours. So yeah, there's definitely um, a lot to think about when it comes to working with humans. And if you have a study where you have to have someone come in on multiple times, so not just one time, if you want to have them in for two visits or three visits, you also have to think about that, how realistic it is to have people commit that amount of time. And yeah, so there's definitely a recruitment is a big part of what you have to think about and then uh, the initial stages. Yeah, it, it sounds like humans are just one tricky subject to work with. <laughs> yeah. So... Let we we've talked science, and I and I do like talking science. But I wanna I wanna go back to a point that you made that you have somewhat of a, a an experience, an emotional experience that leads you to this type of work. You mentioned that you had taken a trip to India and you had first experienced what breath work was. Do you want to describe that? It was definitely an experience that kind of blew my mind and kind of showed me that I don't know how much is possible because I'd never done like a breathwork workshop or never even really heard of breathwork, but was open to trying new things while on this trip and that kind of thing. And so we did this workshop and we were all kind of laying on the ground and this woman who's very familiar with breathwork, she led us through. And it was a, it was a simple breathing pattern. It was just kind of breathing in and then out very like cyclically. But you did this for like almost an hour and at one point my like arms started to go up in the air without my control and my fingers started to like distort and like it it felt like at first I was like this is like some exorcism kind of stuff going on (laughs) so I never experienced it I didn't know that like just because I was breathing a certain way that my body could move so that was just like, bah, like my mind was exploding. <laughs> is That's insane. I'm trying to like imagine <laughs> right? this now. And is it just like a whole room of people lying on the floor, like dancing with their arms? Like, ah. We were, we were all laying on the ground. I went with group through this uh, organization called Operation Groundswell. They work with NGOs across the, the globe and create these trips um, based on this concept of uh, sustainable backpacking. The trip is very educational based and we did volunteering with different people while on the trip. So it was a group of about eight of us in the in the room. And it was interesting. I was the only one that had that was able to really catch on to it. People had a hard time like keeping focused on the breath. And so no one else had the same kind of effects that I did. But yeah, somehow I was able to catch on to it and my body moved without my control. And um, I was a little bit like scared at first. I was like, what is happening? And the lady came over and she's like, oh, it's all good. So that made me feel better about it. And then I just kind of continued into the experience. And yeah, it's something I still always think about. And I guess my fourth year project wasn't like super related to that necessarily, but it kind of gave me the inspiration of 
the way you breathe can affect your body's movement in some way. So yeah, it just kind of sparked that uh, idea for me. And I felt like it kind of came full circle in that like four year period. I was able to have this really cool experience and have my mind blown. And then I was able to actually study it in a very different kind of context. That's uh, that's some pretty cool stuff. I think for anyone who's really tried to take like 10 deep breaths in a row, they probably have experienced like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? <laughs> like that's a very common thought, like 10, I have to breathe 10 times. That's ridiculous. I know that I breathe every single day, but to focus on it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. I was very impressed that I was able to uh, recruit some very lovely people into my study and have them stand up on a force plate for 45 minutes, just breathing in different ways. <laughs> 45 minutes of standing. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, standing still and then breathing in different ways. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, gee, how would you like to go stand on a pressure plate and breathe for 45 minutes? Sign me up for that study. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting because actually everyone that did it said they felt really relaxed because I gave them like slower breathing patterns to do while they were up there a number of different ones so they they actually did enjoy it at the end which is cool to hear as well <laughs> oh sorry if i were to and i don't know if you have the answer to this one but if i were like all right i'm gonna take 45 minutes to do some breathing should i be sitting or standing or laying down i think it depends there's different ways to kind of progress deep breathing so that it's a little bit more challenging to the diaphragm so there's there's actually a way that you can do it laying face down with your your hands kind of in a triangle on your forehead, which is called crocodile breathing. Um, so there's, there's, you can do it. So the short answer is you can do it any of those ways. But if you're following kind of a progressive kind of structured breathing program, then typically that start kind of on your back breathing first, and then the crocodile breathing kind of face down. And then there's breathings where you can also use a chair to kind of elevate your legs or just sit on a chair. So it's like breathing for beginners. Yeah, breathing for beginners. I would say it's like the most approachable for beginners would be kind of laying on your back. All right. Okay. Because that kind of gives you that like nice um, uh, relaxation sense as well. Just kind of taking that five minutes or however long you're doing it to lay on your back and breathe deeply. I, I definitely lay on my back for about eight hours every night, breathing a whole bunch, <laughs> but I don't focus on the breathing. So that's something different. Yeah. So would you be willing to say that probably most people would benefit from breathing exercises? I would say yes, not maybe not all from the diaphragm strength necessarily, but even just from the, the relaxation, taking that time out of your day to just focus on breathing, especially before you start tasks and in the rest of your life. And I like to think that if you do something consistently enough that you start to kind of do that more naturally throughout the other parts of your day. So then more importantly, if I do 45 minutes of breathing exercises a day, can I tell people that I exercised for 45 minutes a day? I think you can. <laughs> okay, well, legally, I am allowed to. I have a professional opinion on here that says I, I'm going to now be doing a lot of exercising, and I'm going to talk about how it's a lifestyle, <laughs> because breathing is a lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, 
ultimately, you've taken quite the interesting journey. You, you started out in culinary kinesiology, moved on, you did a whole bunch of breathing at one point, you thought, <laughs> hey, that was cool. Then at this point, you were like, well, what if people were standing and breathing? How can I like see if like they are changing how their pressure is on this plate as a function of how they're breathing and different breathing exercises? Uh, did, I, did I get that right? Did yeah. I do a decent summary? Yeah, you did. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Am I missing anything? Is there anything that you want to get off your chest before we call it a day? Um, or, oh, get off your chest. I didn't think about that as a breathing. <laughs> Oh, okay. Continue. Yeah, I just want to kind of say that I'm grateful for all the experiences I've had, although it was really rough getting out of the culinary industry with back problems. And I thought it was terrible at the time. It's been interesting. It's taught me a lot of lessons and kind of propelled me to be doing what I am doing now, which I am really enjoying. I really enjoy the the research process and um, kind of the mystery and the creativity that actually goes into research, but I, which I feel like maybe I wasn't expecting, but was really happy about. And I feel like maybe not all other people realize how much creativity actually can go into science, especially when you're creating a, an idea from the start and study design. I think, at least for me, it's been, I've been able to use that creativity inside myself, which I've always valued. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty beautiful way of putting it. Uh, research is creative as much as it might seem like, you know, you're mixing things in a flask or you're telling people to stand on a pressure plate. Uh, there, There is a high element of creativity and sort of designing what you want to try to find out. Yeah, yeah. Even looking for like a gap in the research, seeing what everyone's done and being like, oh, but like no one's done it exactly this way or looked at it this way. I feel like that's a a creative process for myself as well. All right. So I guess what it comes down to is it never hurts to take a deep breath. And also don't stand for too long without moving because you might faint. (laughs) All right. It was a pleasure having you on today. Uh, I want to thank you so, so much for uh, uh, spending some time sitting, by the way, if I may add, uh, and talking with us, which uses a lot of breath, if I'm to understand correctly. Yes, yes. Thank you for uh, donating your breath to this hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should I, I should use that more often. Do- thank you for donating your breath to this hour. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to pretend like it wasn't you who said it and I came up with it. <laughs> you can have that one, definitely. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I'm not going to cite you. All right. It is a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, wasn't that conversation with Kristen just a breath of fresh air? She really did give us a breath of information about how breathing might relate to a number of other processes in your body. So after this episode ended, we took a deep breath and decided to listen to it a bunch more times because you know what? We know some stuff. We don't know all the stuff. So sometimes we have to correct some of the stuff. So Chris and I both took a deep breath and went into it, and we didn't find anything that needed correcting. So this edition of the fact check is really not checking much at all. But it is worthy to note that if we do find things that come out that weren't exactly what we intended, we are going to be the first ones to correct it. Now that the fact check is over and we have cleared the air, I, the heir of my father, can officially thank you for listening to another episode of We know some stuff.